Welcome to the watermarkoc.church podcast. Thank you for listening. Like Bucky said, we're in this series called The Secret of Easy. The Secret of Easy, as in Matthew 11, there's this passage that talks about an easy yoke which is an oxymoron of a thing, because how could something like that, as you see on the screen, a shackle, a wood brace goes around your neck, puts your head down, and forces you to go into one direction for a long while, how could that ever be something that's easy? And yet, it's so cool, because I want to show you the passage, and then I want to get into what we're talking about this morning, but here's Matthew 11, here's what we're going to do. If you weren't lively enough already in saying hello to your neighbor, we're going to get a little read-along going, Okay. So go ahead, get ready, get loose. Something happens when we open our mouths and speak the verse together. It's a special sort of thing, okay? So um, on the count of three, we're just going to read this together, all right? Even pace, no, no, no jumping ahead or, or going too slow, all right? I want you guys to keep a real even-kiltered pace with me, all right? On the count of three, one, two, three. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Wow, that's good. It's not just a farm tool. Let me give you a tip right off the gates, okay? This yoke that we're talking about, that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 11, it's not just a farm tool. It's actually a way of life. It's a way of life. Some of the other descriptions that I love for this yoke that Jesus talks about is uh, unmerited gift of grace. The unforced rhythms of grace. The rhythms of our daily life. The way we live out this faith in Jesus is a daily unforced rhythm of grace. And um, freedom. This morning we're going to be talking about forgiveness. This whole series is about the yoke of this world, which is the way, the system, the model, even the governance of this world, versus the way, the model, and the existence of the kingdom, of the word of God, of the Jesus way. We're contrasting two different ways through this whole series. And this morning I'm going to be talking about forgiveness, but in forgiveness we find this tremendous freedom. And yet freedom is just this kind of philosophical, ethereal type of term, really doesn't do anything for us. What I hope we can see this morning, as you still have that picture in your head of this, of this yoke, this farming tool, is that it's something that actually we should, we should experience. It should be a lived reality. And I love, uh, one of the leaders of the church put um, Charles Spurgeon on our radar. He was a, uh, quite a famous 19th century Baptist preacher. You can look him up. His sermons were renowned the world over. Um, and even being 100 years old, I, I felt like totally convicted and, and, and thought they were relatable today. And he says this. He says this about Matthew 11, about this passage. He says, in essence, you take off one yoke to put on another. The soul was created for activity. The soul was created for activity. We're going to get back to that. We're going to go full circle to that at the end of our time. But like I said, this morning is about forgiveness. Forgiveness versus what's on the other side. Gosh, take your pick. Resentment, revenge, bitterness. So many different options. And that's the yoke of this world that we would say. And, and what I want to do this morning is use the life of Peter. Peter was this incredible Gosh, like, like first pastor, you could even say. The, the, you know, the Catholic Church actually believed that. that he was the first pope in a consecutive line of, of popes. The, the, the church will be built on you, Peter the Rock. The first guy. Kind of a big deal. But he was also a bumbling fool. He was. He had these moments of just inane, just like folly, ridiculousness. That's why I love Peter's story. 
And we're going to use Peter as kind of our subject to talk about this yoke of forgiveness this morning. And I have a main point for you, even, because uh, the same guy, Spurgeon, he called, he called Peter the great backslider. The great backslider. Anyone here ever felt like they were in a season where they backslid? Anyone ever feel like they had a day or maybe a morning with their kids where they were backsliding? I'm telling you, just the last 48 hours for me, I had plenty of black, back, backsliding. We'll get to that in a second. But from backslider to rock, that is Peter's story. That is Peter's identity. I have news for us, folks. Today, that is the identity of you and me, of every person who says yes to Jesus. We have the opportunity to move from backslider to, to rock. It's a beautiful picture there. And uh, I want to walk through how to get there, how, that, how that's even made possible. And a lot of that has to do with knowing your target. Know the target of your forgiveness. See the kingdom. We have to have a different reality. If we're going to wear a different yoke, a different way of living, we see the world in a kingdom way. We're going to get into that. And then we're going to, we're going to talk about how you can be the usher. Be the usher. You get to usher in this thing called kingdom, which is, think about it as an administration. Think of it as a modern-day administration, a modern-day government. You can write those things down, by the way. If you have notes, get them out, because there won't be a slide for those kind of three progressions, but I'll remind you often about them. That's how we're going to get there. But I wonder, does anyone have a really good revenge biopic that they love? Does anyone have a, 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 either a favorite? I'm talking about movies here, okay, because I, I never read the book. But I want to tell, tell you about two of my favorite revenge plots ever. And the first one takes place in Genesis 37. Get your Bibles out. Go ahead. If you brought your print Bible, the six or seven of you here, go ahead and get it out. And the rest of you guys, get your phone out. There's this tremendous thing called the Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app. Um, if this whole thing is new to you, the Bible, um, there's this app. It makes it so accessible and relatable. Um, you just go to your app store, whether it's Google or, or iTunes, and download the YouVersion Bible app. We are a church that has a burden for, for um, guiding people taking people by the hand and walking them cover to cover through the Bible to understand this is God's great story of humanity and and his plan of salvation. And so we want to drive that deep into the heart of Watermark. All right, so open with me, 37. If you have your notes, again, get your notes out. Something crazy that happens when you take notes, you retain information. And when you retain information, you're more likely to live that stuff, which I think is pretty cool. I've had to learn that myself. Some old guy told me to start taking notes in church recently, and I was like, okay, fine, I'll test it. And it's been awesome. So take some stinking notes today, all right? Take some notes. So we're in Genesis. Uh, it's the first book of 66 books in the Bible. It's part of the, uh, the law, what's referred to in the categories of the Bible, the law, the Pentateuch, the first five books. It's the story of origins and also structure for the body of Israel. And uh, so our story takes place in verse 26, and we have uh, Father Abraham. Remember Father Abraham? Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham, and I'm one of them, and so are you. This is a kid's nursery rhyme. It's more like Father Jacob. It's more like Father Jacob had many sons. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob had these 12 sons. And one of them was this little dude named Joseph. Okay, this guy Joseph. And his brothers did one heck of an awful thing to him. All right? Joseph was the golden son. He was the favored one. You may know this story, regardless of your background in church. You were dragged to church at one point, And you heard the story about Joseph in the coat of many colors. And his dad hooks him up with this special gift. No mention about the rest of the brothers. It might as well be chopped liver. And that would have been bad enough to just like, no, just let it be known by wearing this constant garment that reminded people that you're the favored son. That would have been bad enough. But then he has to go on as one of the younger ones and tell the rest of his sons, guys, I had this crazy dream last night. Let me tell you about this dream. In this dream, like, you bowed down to me. It was crazy. It was cool. I was the boss. I was the owner. I was the ruler. And you guys all bowed down. And he did that twice. And finally the brother's like, no, 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 no,
and they decide to shut Joseph down. They throw him in a pit. They throw him in a pit, and then finally one of the older brothers is like, this doesn't make sense. Let's not let him die. This is where it takes place in, in verse 26, okay? So follow along with me. I'll read it this time. Judas said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. Duh, cool. And his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt. He sold into slavery. A lot of you know this story. It was helpful for me. I actually heard this passage in the radio, and I thought, I, like this last week, i got to use this. because This is the revenge piece. This is the resentment piece. It's incredible. But picture 17-year-old Joseph, or thereabouts, a teenage boy. This is a pretty intimidating situation. Tears streaming down his face, the terror all over his face about getting shipped off to a foreign land with these foreign people into captivity. That's crazy. And then it's 20 years, 20 years before he gets to meet his brothers face-to-face again. That's a lot of time to come, come up with a perfect comeback plan, am I right? It's got revenge saga written all over it. And as I thought about that, this led me to my second, one of my second favorite revenge stories. You guys ever saw the movie, the original or the new one, The Count of Monte Cristo? Any Count of Monte Cristo fans out there? Yeah, you all know what I'm talking about. Edmond Dantes. Again, it takes place in the 1800s, the Mediterranean. And there's this guy, Edmond, and he's, he's betrayed by his dearest friend, Fernand. Fernand gets him shackled in the notorious Chateau d'If prison, the offshore, unknown prison for those criminals that really want to be hidden. And he steals his woman, Fernand, steals his woman, steals his family, his livelihood, his whole identity is robbed from him in an instant. He's betrayed. And of course, he's got some time to think about it. He's in prison for year after year after year. And um, uh, the story doesn't end without the most righteous payback scheme of all time being formed. It's brilliant. He gets the woman back. He gets his now teenage son, who was never born to Fernand. It was actually his biological son. He gets all this hidden gold. He's wealthy beyond means. Is, does he have his comeback? Just because he's like got a few jabs in there and he's got his gold? No, it's not done yet. He's got to murder the bad guy, right? He's not done until he's got a blade through uh, the bad guy, Fernand, in the field. And then just pan to the picture. This is a picture of heaven. I'm telling you, this is a picture of heaven on earth. Jim Caviezel and his wife and his teenage son on the cliff in the Mediterranean in front of the prison where he was shackled for a decade. It's brilliant, right? That's just a piece of heaven, isn't it? Revenge. It's beautiful. Isn't it a beautiful picture of heaven? Because we've all heard, right? We've all heard of redemptive revenge, right? We've all heard of uh, healing revenge. What about uh, totally satisfying revenge or restorative revenge? A revenge that just heals you from the inside out. Have you heard of any of these? No, of course not. Of course we haven't because that's not how it works. That's not God's design for how we're to operate. And, and, and I'll quickly just go back to Joseph. You guys may know the story. I, I encourage you to look at it. You can read the whole book of Genesis in, in one sitting, maybe 30 minutes. What starts in this chapter 37 and, and a little bit before and then for several chapters after, his brothers all come to check on him. Of course, God's given him tremendous favor in this foreign land of Egypt. He's propped him up in the highest form of the, this worldly administration in Egypt. And his brothers come and, yeah, Joseph makes them grovel a little bit before finally giving them grace. And saying, listen, this, what you meant for harm, God meant for good. The, the yoke of the world, uh, the yoke of this world that you bought into, of bitterness and revenge, that you meant for harm, he meant for good. And I'm walking into his yoke. I'm walking into his yoke of forgiveness. Come here and let me save you, brothers. Let me save my father. Let me save my whole family by relocating them all to Egypt. Do you see just a picture? 
the picture of kingdom, the picture of the easy yoke versus the, the yoke of this world. I wanted to give us that picture just to start. Um, but there's a dungeon. There's that amazing picture of a dungeon, a prison. And that's, that's going to become instrumental as well because um, I think for most of us here, um, maybe the, the target of our forgiveness is not necessarily as grand as, these, as even Genesis 37 or even Count of Monte Cristo. And some of us this morning, the challenging question for us this morning is, if you are sitting here this morning and maybe you're feeling locked up in that dungeon of resentment, of revenge or bitterness against a family member, against a work partner, against an old friend, an ex, a son or a daughter, a mother or a father, maybe even yourself, maybe you can't let yourself off the hook. Well, if you're living under the yoke of bitterness or resent this morning, this word is for you because I want to help you. I want to help you in partnership with the power of the Holy Spirit. This thing that the Bible talks about as a gift sent to everyone who says yes to Jesus. Remove, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, I want to help remove that bitterness and resentment, that yoke that's around your neck. And in order that we might do that, let's look now. Let's finally, alas, let's look at the life of Peter. Okay, this guy who Spurgeon called the great backslider. And um, let's walk through this, okay? So we're trying to put on this new yoke, and there's this very primary step. The very first thing, I mentioned it before, you can write it down right now. Get your phone out. Take notes on your phone, too. This very first step is to know your target. Know the target of your forgiveness. So it's, the whole thing starts with a the, with the question. And we're going to be in Matthew 18 for the most part. So you can go to Matthew 18 if you're in your Bible. But here's, here's what Peter, he turns to Jesus and he wants to know. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Your Bible might say seven times 70. This is tremendous, and there's a lot going on there, but I, I, I want to know. I'm sure that, that you, like me, you, you, even someone, again, sent me a couple articles. of. They knew I was preaching on forgiveness, and they sent me a couple articles of this otherworldly, tremendous acts of forgiveness. Like, for example, take this one story of uh, Dean Otto, okay? Dean Otto, it was in Charlotte, North Carolina. He's a bicyclist, and he got taken out by a car. He got hit by a car. He's laid up in the hospital. He's got 1% chance. Doctors tell him he has 1% chance that he'll ever function in, in any kind of wholesome way again, okay? And, and yet, before even a, a few weeks, a few months in the hospital, he's forgiven the driver. He says, no, I forgive you. And, and yet, not only that, he, he, he says that, this is a quote from the article, it says, the forgiveness was the key to my physical recovery. You see, there was the yoke of the world that would have said, harbor resentment, harbor that pain. Where's that pain going to get bottled up? Where's that pain going to get bottled up? Anyone ever had so much stress? Bucky talked last week about the number one epidemic in our world being stress. That's the yoke of this world. Where does it go? Men in the room who have low back pain. I wonder, is there a direct correlation between your stress over here and an actual physical manifestation of that stress? And this man said, actually, I was able to get on my feet because I was able to let go. I took the easy yoke of forgiveness. These guys end up running a half marathon together. He's healed. He's back on his feet. This guy, the person, one of the doctors, and the guy who hit him, they ran this race together. That's ridiculous. Or how about Debbie? Uh, Debbie's in Tampa, Florida. She was was shot in the face by a 13-year-old boy at the time. And he went away for a life sentence. They became pen pals. She forgave him while in prison, and they started exchanging letters. She was actually the result of his early release. She was part of the early release for prison for this young man. Crazy. Tremendous forgiveness, isn't it? That's amazing. And as wonderful and moving as these examples are, I actually think these, um, these could be some of the easier ones. 
And that may be insane of me to say, okay, not easy outright, but maybe some of the easier ones compared to a different type of thing. And you're sitting there saying, Ben, what could possibly be harder than having to live with an injury? What could possibly, what could top that? What I want to talk about this morning is um, forgiving someone you've known for 20 years. I want to talk about that that person that you loved and, and shared a marriage with for 10 years. Built a business together. Grew up together. Trusted your story and your whole life with this person. Or maybe that person is you. And you're just riddled with self-loathing. It's harder for you to forgive yourself than, than anyone else. There's that bitter, bitterness and resentment there. And I know for me, I'll just, just speak from, from my <laughs> backsliding, um, that that's the hardest one for me is to forgive myself. And I just even look at the last 48 hours, okay? I have my time off, Friday, Saturday, I take some time off. And that's the only real window that I have to be all in with the kids. My wife, Riley, and I have five kids. Oldest is six, the youngest is nine months. Yes, I know, you're thinking we did that to ourselves. And we did, and it's a beautiful, large family vision. But just even in the last two days of being home with these kids, and the three-year-old, he loves to push the buttons, and the nine-month-old is screaming the whole time. And I get home with the kids, and how many times am I short with them, or aggressive with them, or impatient with them? And then I'm just sitting there, just fuming over myself. Come on, Ben. You can't be patient. You're on, you're on for a day and a half, two days max. You can't be a little bit more patient, Ben. And I'm hammering myself with the, with the self-loathing and the resentment. I wonder if any of us in the room feel the same way. We have to know the target of our forgiveness. What is the accurate target of our forgiveness? It may not be that person, that stranger that crossed us just once and then we never have to see them again. Maybe it's that person a little bit closer to home. The first step in, in moving from backslider to rock is to know the target. And I think it is those close to home that most of us deal with on an everyday basis. Look what Peter says. This is what Peter says in verse 21. Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? The reminder to us is it's those people who are really close to us, those people we have agreements with, we have contracts with. The, the, the Christian word, the, the, the church word would be covenant. We're covenant people. When we cross each other, even inside the church, we're covenant people. That hits harder to the heart many times. And so we must know the target of our, of our forgiveness. So now that we have that, before we do anything else, we know the target. Do you sense this morning in your heart? I'm going to give even a few seconds of pause. Right now, I want you to sense this morning in your heart who or what is the target of your forgiveness. Right now, this morning. I want you to be thinking about that right now. Who or what is the target of your forgiveness? Who are you being called to forgive right now? And my thought is that maybe on and on as we go through this morning, that's going to come to you. But before we, you know, we, you, need, you need to get to that place. That's what I'd say. That's the first thing. You need to get to that place. Jesus poses a question. I mean, Peter poses a question. It warrants a response. Jesus is going to give this tremendous response that instructs us, okay, what do we do? We got the target, Ben. Great. Now tell me how to live this thing. Well, that's what Jesus is going to do. Okay? Now remind, remember that, that Peter, is, Peter is you and me. We are Peter this morning. That's what we're looking at. And Jesus knows Peter's heart. Like he always knows everyone's heart. Like God knows your heart and my heart. If you're having trouble with the target of your forgiveness, he knows who it is right now and he's going to bring it to the surface, I pray, by the end of this morning. But you see, Jesus was trying to help people and the disciples and the fellow believers there understand. He was trying to help them see a kingdom world. That's the second step. You've got to know the target. Your second step is to see a kingdom world. 
You have to see a kingdom world. That was Jesus' terminology. He used it all the time. He said the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. He used these interchangeably. It was a, it, what it meant was, is now that I'm here, Jesus speaking, now that I'm here, I've ushered in a new administration. I've ushered in a new world order. I've ushered in a new form of governance that you can be a part of if you say yes to my promise. If you say yes to, to, to my blood that was poured out for you, you'll be a part of that kingdom. I'm trying to help you see it, though. You have to understand what it looks like when you see it. Let me help you see it. And so what does he do? He launches into parable. It's tremendous, okay? This is verse 23. This is what it says. Boom. Verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. A couple quick notes from that. Okay, 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents is no small sum. Peter is coming to him saying, how about seven times, Jesus? He thinks he's being sneaky. He thinks he's being really cool by saying seven. Because the precedent up to that point, there was, a, there was like a, they call this like a rabbinical law. Part of what the rabbis did is create their own law on top of the original law. And their system was, forgive three times, I tell you. I say unto you, forgive three times. Peter thinks he's so sharp. God bless his heart. We think that we've arrived as believers. We've been believers 10, 15, 20 years. We think we figured it out. Peter's the same way. I've been rolling with Jesus for a year and a half. I got this. I'm going to up the ante. I'm not going to say three. He thinks I'm going to say three. I'm going to say seven. And Jesus is like, let me help you, my dear boy. 10,000 talents was an unpayable sum. 10,000 talents would be equivalent to, some say, $7 million today. It was an unpayable sum. You could not pay it back. It was impossible. Jesus is going somewhere with this. He wants to make a point. Verse 26, this is what he says. I love the, the servant. I'll pay you everything right there. There, right there was the moment. In that moment that he says, I'll pay you everything, 10,000 talents, no big deal. I'll pay you everything. In that moment, I want you to be picturing the the biggest, nastiest, rusting, thousand pound iron yoke you can ever picture. I want you to picture that over the servant's neck. Just strapped over, like literally the rust and the splinters of metal cutting into his neck, digging up through his ear, just tearing this guy apart, the yoke of the world, that says, I can the yoke of this world that says, I can pay it back. He didn't get it. It's so clear that he didn't understand what the master is doing. If he had, he would have just flat out said, I can't do it, I simply can't. That's the beautiful yoke. The easy yoke is right there. The easy yoke says, I can't do it anymore. I can't bear the stress and the pressure of bitterness and resentment and the lack of forgiveness. I can't do it anymore to bear the constant stressors of performing in this life. That's the easy yoke response. And the master forgives. This is what's so wonderful. That'd be wonderful enough that he forgives. But look at the outcome. Is it the desired outcome in this servant? Is that what happens? Does the man go off and live this life truly forgiven? Does he switch gears from that that crazy, iron, disgusting, heaviest yoke you could never carry into the free yoke? Does he he switch over into that? He doesn't. And I don't have that. I'm not going to include that scripture here and go into it, but he doesn't. He runs out. He chokes out the nearest possible person he can find and and tells them they need to pay him back, the person that owed him. And he gets thrown into prison, right? He gets shackled and thrown into prison. That's how the the story ends. But I want to tell you something about parable. 
This point that we're on, we talked about know the target. Know the desired target of your forgiveness. And now we're talking about see the kingdom. See a kingdom world. How did Jesus do that? He used parables. He used these illustrations. Jesus spent a third of his time using parables. A third of all of Jesus' words were devoted to parables. He's doing something in that. He wants you to see a kingdom world. And I love this quote. This comes from Eugene Peterson. He's a guy that translated the whole Bible into like a modern-day English version, the Message Bible. You can look him up. He's written all these books apart from this translation of the Bible. One of my favorites. He's tremendous. I'm going to read this to you, and you can, you can see it on the screen. This is what Eugene Peterson said about parables. He says, as people heard Jesus tell these stories, they saw at once that they weren't about God. So there was nothing in them threatening their own sovereignty. They relaxed their defenses. They walked away perplexed, maybe, wondering what they meant. The stories lodged deep in their imagination. And then, like a ticking time bomb, they would explode in their unprotected hearts. An abyss opened at their very feet. He was talking about God the whole time. They'd been invaded That's what we have to let the parable do for your heart and for my heart. It's not just to know the target. That's just a a knowledge piece. That's just a head-level piece. It's not enough to just know the target. We have to let that sink down into our hearts to understand that's that's the life of the easy yoke, the forgiving yoke. It's a totally subversive way. It's a wholly other type of way. And yet this guy, the servant, he's thrown into prison after this behavior, he, he receives forgiveness. The verse says, I forgive you. And he says, no, 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 it's okay. I'll go do it. I'll go do it. He's already been forgiven. And he runs out to go do. And he's thrown into a prison. What I want to say about this prison, and there's different translations in your Bible that get into some of the detail around that, but here's the prison I want to talk about this morning. Maybe that prison cell is an emotional or psychological cell for you and for me. That no one did that to us, where they locked us up and threw away the key, but we're doing that to ourselves So what is the prison cell of bitterness and revenge and resentment that you are holding on to? And is it worth it? That's my question for you this morning. Is it even worth it? So you're seeing, as we go through this passage, are you seeing what he's doing with Peter? Let's assume, let's assume for a second that it was just Peter and Jesus in this moment. Not the other audience of the disciples and the crowds beyond that of of Jewish people trying to test Jesus, what he's saying. Let's assume it's just isolated in a vacuum. And now you and I, and now you and I, we are all Peter, and we think we're doing pretty good on our own knowledge. We think we're doing pretty good on our own effort. Remember how crafty Peter was? I'm going to up the ante from three to seven. I've got this thing figured out. Jesus is doing some pretty fancy heart-level stuff. Will you let him do that heart-level stuff this morning, you guys? Will you take this parable of the unforgiving servant, that's the one I just read to you, will you take that parable and let it till up the soil of your heart right now? Will you let it do that? He wants to do that in your heart this morning. He wants to till up that soil, that heart-level soil of bitterness, revenge, regret, animosity. And he wants to replace it with this easy yoke, this yoke of forgiveness. That's the point of the parable, to mess us up a little bit, to plant something in our minds and mess us up. So we should all be aware by now, the first step is what? Know your target. Know the target of your forgiveness. The second thing is see a kingdom world. See a kingdom world through the lens of Jesus. That will serve you for what happens next. All of this is a precursor for what happens next. I'm going to skip over one more major chunk of a huge part of Peter's story. Because this is it's crazy what happens to Peter. Some of you, are, Most of you are probably familiar with it. But Peter betrays Jesus. He betrays Jesus. Take that for what it really is for a second though. Because, again, the 60, 70, 80% of us that were raised in the church, we, we remember that. 
that Peter betrayed Jesus. But take that for what it is. Peter was not just the chosen 12. Peter was a part of, like, as you read more and more of the Gospels, you'll see he was constantly invited into like this, almost like this sweet inner circle of the three. Peter, James, and John. Jesus would invite them, bring them. Kind of a special invitation. His inner crew. And Peter has a special anointing to him. He has a special hand of God's spirit on him. He, uh, him amongst all the disciples and anyone else was the one who confessed, I think you're the Messiah. I think you're the real Lord, the one we've been waiting for. And Jesus gives, him to that, gives that credit to him and says, it was not revealed to you by some kind of human knowledge. Yeah, that was God speaking to you that you speak this way. And he's full of zeal and he's jumping out of the boat first. He's got all this confidence and all of this kind of headstrong leadership. That's an amazing part about Peter, but, but all of that. And then Jesus gives him a heads up. Hey, you're going to betray me. Even with the heads up, he ends up, in fact, betraying him. You can read this in Matthew 26. Again, go reference it. We've been, in, we've been in Matthew 11, Matthew 18, Matthew 26. Go and look it up. But he's sitting there in the courtyard. I'll, I'll give you some of the background just to remind you. I go to the garden. They're in the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is, uh, you know, he's... He's sweat blood. They're praying. The Roman guards come to get him and they bring him to the palace. And Jesus is probably in the upper section of the palace. It's an open air type of structure. And Peter, they say, is like in the courtyard. It could be still the dark of morning and it's cold. He's trying to get warmed up around the fire. And, and, a, and a girl, maybe a young little girl comes to him and says, oh, aren't you one of the ones? Aren't you from this region? Didn't you hang with Jesus? And he says, I don't know, but I don't know what you're talking about. I, I never knew him. One, two, three strikes. The rooster crows as, a, as this reminder, this, this just pinpoint laser to Peter's heart and soul of Jesus' words ringing in his head. There's even a version in Luke that says that Jesus looked over. Jesus looks over. Can you imagine for a second that level of betrayal? His inner circle. We've all experienced some kind of betrayal or some kind of broken trust that has formed some kind of resentment. And in this picture, Peter's in that place. The utmost betrayal. And, and so that leads us to, I want to jump off over here. I want to jump to John 21. He betrays Jesus, and yet he's restored. He's restored. He gets to be on the receiving end of this yoke of forgiveness. He gets to really experience it in a real and profound way. He gets to live it out. He gets to usher in the kingdom now. That's my third thing, and then we're going to close. My third thing is he gets to usher it in because he experienced it. He gets to push forth the walls of this kingdom administration, this kingdom government. He gets to be the lead guy who gets to do that because he's restored. And it takes place here in uh, in John 21. Read it on the screen, if you will. This is what it says. It says, when they had finished breakfast, at this time Jesus has already died, He's, he's, he's risen, and he comes to visit the guys, uh, again, not much has changed. He's betrayed Jesus, and they've gone back to their old work. They're out, you know, on the lake again, fishing. They've just gone back to business as usual. And Jesus is on the beach, unrecognizable to them, and invites them to come and break bread. They finished breakfast. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. And then Jesus said a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him this third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I'm not going to go into the detail of the, of the historical context or, or the, the original Greek language behind, behind this passage. 
I'm just going to say simply that he's restored. That in that moment, Jesus is giving him the easy yoke of forgiveness. He's saying, Peter, you could not know this level of forgiveness until you had to be on the receiving end of it. And that is the same reality for me and you. As this metaphorical Peter this morning, every single one of us, that forgiveness has been extended. That offering, Jesus, to Peter is Jesus to you and to me today. Every single one of us is is capable of being a great forgiver, moving from, from the great backslider to a rock. Every one of us is not just capable of that. We're capable of being restored and, and being sent, being commissioned, because that's what's happening to Peter in this passage. Being commissioned, being saved, restored for three times a betrayal, three times a commissioning. That's what he's really saying in those different versions of sheep and lambs and take care of my people. He's being commissioned, sent to go do the work. The same is true for me and for you. That's the easy yoke. And that allows Peter, because he could be on the receiving end. He didn't just get the information. He didn't just know who he should forgive. The people, the the Roman occupiers who were taking his people and putting them into slavery, or his fellow brothers in the church that crossed him. He didn't just have, it wasn't enough to just know the target of his forgiveness. And it wasn't enough just to have great head information and have this ticking time bomb in his head that moved into his heart from Jesus in the form of the parable. It wasn't enough just to have, see the world as kingdom. He had to experience this kingdom forgiveness, this easy yoke of forgiveness, in order to actually live it, to go forth and usher in kingdom himself, just like you and I are invited to do as participants in the kingdom that was started 2,000 years ago is still being ushered forth today, this very morning, tomorrow, on Monday, when you go to work and you go to your neighbor and you go to your family. We're invited to have that same reality happen. And we're all Peter, you and me, from backslider to rock. We've received that same forgiveness. We've received that same radical, restorative love, that forgiving love. And this could help us as we understand the passage for this whole series. We're going to go back to Matthew 11. This whole series is about this one passage. That's why I have us read it together. Because if you forget nothing else, you'll have Matthew 11 ringing in your head. That you take one yoke off... And there's no such thing as living under no yoke. There's this tremendous piece of like Christian data that we, that we look at in the church. We've looked at it several Sundays here at Watermark. And there was a term that, that came up a few years ago, maybe five years ago. They did all this data and research on, on millennials and young people in the next generation. And they asked them to self-select their belief, their worldview, their, their system of belief. And a lot of them just started saying, they wouldn't even say atheist or agnostic anymore. They'd say none. And then literally a term was coined, the nuns. They'd call them the nuns. Okay, not Catholic Church nuns, but nuns, N-O-N-E-S. And I used to cite that statistic all the time. And then I got to this passage this week and I realized there's no such thing. I don't want to make it so bipolar in this world. I don't want to make it so dual in this world. But the truth is there's yoke of Jesus that we're looking at right here in Matthew 11. Yoke of the kingdom, of forgiveness, of lightness, of easiness. And then there's fill in the blank, any other kind of yoke. And to say that it's none is a misnomer. There is some kind of form of government or administration that you will be under, no matter what you call it. And what we want to suggest to you, what we want to plead with you this morning at Watermark is the fact that there is no other like the yoke of Jesus, like the restoring, forgiving, life-giving yoke of Jesus that we read about right here in Matthew 11. But what's the trick? What's the trick here? Because we've got to put on this new yoke. I'd rather live with no yoke, or I would rather live with fill-in-the-blank yoke. What, how, what does that mean? How can I be, have this thing, this weight? How can I have this on me and be free 
and have it be light and have it be easy. What we're suggesting is that your soul was created for this type of activity. That's what we see in Peter in his restoration, his commissioning. Is he gets to push forth. He gets to usher forth kingdom like you and me. We get to push it forth. That's the activity. When the yoke, the new yoke comes on, uh, come to me. I'm gentle and lonely heart, and I'll give you, find your rest. For my yoke is easy. Take one off. Don't live with none. Put mine on. That's what he's saying. That's the physical reality, the experiential reality of this passage, you guys, is that we get to put on something else that helps us live. That soul activity I talked about in the very beginning of the message, our, our, our souls, our lives are built for that activity. So I invite you this morning as I finish, I invite you to walk into that reality. Every single one of us, regardless of the world that you hold this morning, that's, that, God's intention is that you are able to, you, you have at least an invitation to, to say yes to that type of soul work, to say yes to that type of activity. I want to finish with this story, and I'm going to invite you to do something. Um, guys who are playing the song, if you're out there, you guys can come up, and they're going to finish with this song. But I mentioned this weekend, I had a couple days, right, this 48-hour period being with the kids. And there's this moment uh, yesterday morning, Saturday morning, and I have uh, Shep, who's my three-year-old. He will be three in December. I don't remember what we're having for breakfast, but it was slimy, and it was red-colored, and it's dripping out of his mouth, and it's all over his T-shirt. And I see him darting for the white couch, and I'm jumping to intercede. Don't worry about the white couch for a second. Don't be distracted. Yeah, it's white. It's beautiful. That's why we have it, okay? And he's running for the couch, so I seize on Shep, and I grab him by the collar or whatever I do. I rip him off the couch, and I lay him down on the ground. I'm like, you got to wipe your hands, dude. Like, you got to wipe up. That's a rule around here. You know that. And in the midst of my admonishing, in the midst of my encouraging exhortation, I hear this voice over my shoulder. It's my wife in the kitchen. Honey, I already wiped his hands. And I'm like, oh, caught as a fool, right? As this angry, begrudging, you know, aggressive father just, you know, getting on this three-year-old to stay off of the couch. And so, yeah, I messed up. I screwed up. In that moment, I take him, I grab him. He's, already, he's like, why would you do that? He's like weeping. It took like five seconds. He's just like weeping. I'm like, oh, come here. And I bring him in under my arm and under my, you know, bring him in tight. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And it was so clear. This was an easy one to do that quickly because it was just so dumb. I was so in the wrong. I'm sorry, Shep. I'm sorry. I'm kissing him on the face. Will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? And he's like, yes, yes. You can say yes. He's learning his words. Fast forward. Fast forward for a second to later that morning. We're in the car now with the two older kids, Levi and Everett, six and four. And we're driving to serve, um, serve these folks at, at, at the homeless event. Uh, the fourth Saturday of every month, Watermark partners with the churches and, and we serve the homeless. Uh, and um, it's cool because it's the first time I've got to go with the kids. And I'm stoked for them to get their hands in there and to learn and to see and meet the people. Not just do the task of the work, but meet people and see them. See the reality of what they look like, what they smell like, who they are. And so before we arrive, I'm trying to prep them. I'm like, guys, you're going to meet some of these people. You're going to get to see them. And more importantly than doing the work, guys, you know, maybe we'll get to talk to them. And you can learn someone's name, these folks who are on the street. And I said, um, you know, they may not be friendly. You know, a lot of them have mental health issues. And they have a drug background. They may not be friendly. They may burn you. And they may, you know, be unkind. And, and one of them pipes up. I think it's Everett. And she says, yeah, but, Daddy, we're, we can forgive them, right? We can forgive them. We'll just forgive them. And I said, I said, that's right, Abby. Yeah, just like, you know, you guys mess up sometimes. And, you know, even though there's a consequence, we forgive you. Mommy and Daddy always forgive you, right? And God, he always forgives you, right? Here I am, the preacher. Preacher father, right? Great teachable moment. I'm just spelling it out for them how it should be. And then Levi pipes up and says, yeah, Daddy, like this morning when Shep forgave you. Right? Yeah, yes, son. Like, like, Sheppy forgave me. And you never know. 
You never know who's watching when you're, when you're in your own feeble attempts, your own backsliding attempts, take it from the biggest backslider in the room. You never know who's watching. You never know who's gonna get some of that kingdom stuff. Just spray it on them as you're, as you're ushering in, as you're busy trying, attempting, in your, even in your most feeble attempts to push forth kingdom. Someone who's watching is gonna see forgiveness and how that could affect their life. We're gonna sing this song, you guys, and I wanna make a proposition for you this morning. There's maybe some people in the room and, and you're not sure about this whole um, kingdom thing. You're not sure about this whole Bible thing or church thing. Uh, and first of all, I just honor you for even coming at the invitation of someone else. I think that's incredible that you would even come and check it out. But for you, I think there's, there's at least two people in the room today. There's some who have yet to say yes to this easy yoke of forgiveness. And Matthew 11, the verse we're still looking at right now, that is a yoke and a, and a forgiveness and a lightness, that not just for today, to usher in the kingdom today, but it, but it represents salvation for eternity. It's two different types of yokes being alluded to there. For today, for the life today, the kingdom here and now, and, and, and for the kingdom yet to, to come. So if you're here this morning and you're thinking that something's stirring in you, you don't even know what it is yet, but you want to pray with someone. At the end of this song, there's going to be people at the, at the front up here and up here. And I'm going to dismiss everyone and, and people can go to the back. But if that's you, just sit still, just sit tight. Participate with us in this song and then just sit tight. There's going to be people up here to pray. And if that's you, you're thinking something's happening right now. You can't even explain it. And it may be that restorative, forgiving love that Jesus is offering you. And come forth, these people would love to pray with you and talk to you a little bit. Or maybe there's another type of person in the room today who's sick and tired of carrying that iron, rusty, metal yoke of resentment and bitterness around your neck. You guys, we're not fooling around. We want to see those chains broken. We want to see you released from that yoke of bitterness and spite and anger and resentment. There's going to be people, again, at the front of the stage who want to pray with you. I invite you, men, women, people of every age in the room this morning, if that's you, and you're ready to let go of that yoke finally, come up here and these these folks, leaders of the church are going to pray for you to do just that. And I'm believing in an all-powerful God. I'm believing in this Jesus who could overcome betrayal, who could overcome a, a death on a cross and offers restorative, life-giving love and forgiveness. I'm believing that he could do the same thing for you here and now today, this morning. Let's pray and then we'll worship. Jesus, I just thank you so much for this morning. Thank you, God, for the life of Peter, the great backslider. Thank you, Jesus, that you knew what you were doing even 2,000 years ago through the life and the story of Peter and the, and, and the stories you gave, these parables, that you knew that there'd be an audience thousands of years later looking in saying, wow, here we are in the same position. We're still trying to carry this burden like the unforgiving servant. We think we can do it. We can do it, God. We'll do it. We can just do it all. It's okay. It's all right. Jesus, for those here this morning who are still saying that, release them, I pray in the name of Jesus, release them of that. And for those, Lord God, who you are prompting right now by the mystery of your voice and how you operate in this world, those who who you are prompting right now to say yes to you, to receive that forgiveness not just so they can get to heaven, not just so they can have a ticket to ride, but so they can live here and now as an usher of the kingdom. Stir in them right now, Father. Do something in this very moment, I pray. Thank you, Jesus. To find out more about us, go online to watermarkoc.church.